Well, today we're going to continue our series uh, on resolution and uh, hope you've enjoyed the opportunity of being together the last few weeks and really uh, maybe heard some things, seen some things, experienced some things, uh, helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Uh, before we uh, open the uh, scripture together and jump into our series this morning, I want to give you one scripture out of Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 23. Today is the last day of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and so it looks like everyone has survived. We're all still kicking and breathing, and uh, uh, we, are, uh, we are hopefully moving forward. I, I want to challenge you with this thought. Our prayer uh, through the 21 days of prayer and fasting is that uh, what we've done the last 21 days would set a precedence for the rest of our year. Uh, that we would not just say, well, I did a 21-day fast, check, completed that off my list, and now I'm going to move on and go back to living life the way I lived it before. Our prayer uh, is that during these 21 days, God has spoken to you, God has moved in your life, and you have deepened your relationship with Him to such a point that you don't want to go back to how you used to live. You don't want to go back to how you used to do things. And that hopefully you're going to press in to really knowing God continually deeper and uh, at a greater level. And uh, so this morning I wanted to share a scripture with you out of Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 23. The Bible says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I want to encourage you in this. I know that during the 21 days, many times we're praying for family, we're praying for friends, we're praying for, praying for people that we love and care about. And, and the reality is, is that when you pray for people, people have a will and a choice. Right? How many of y'all know that? People have a will and a choice. How many know you have a will and a choice? And what has to happen many times as we pray for our family and our friends to come to the Lord is that our prayers become instruments of righteousness that God uses to prepare the hearts of people to respond to Him. But at the end of the day, that person has to make an answer to God's call. Amen? And we can't violate their will, but I believe that through prayer and fasting, we can pray them right in the center of God's will to a place where they choose to accept and follow after Him. And so I want to encourage you in this. If maybe you haven't seen your prayers answered, maybe you haven't seen your breakthrough, maybe you haven't seen that thing that you were seeking after really come to pass, I want to encourage you to press on and let Hebrews 10, 23 uh, be a word of encouragement to you this morning, that you would hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And why do we do that? Because he who promised is faithful. How many know God is faithful? And I had a lady share with me a couple weeks ago that uh, over the last couple years she had been praying uh, for one of her children. And she told me uh, two weeks ago, she said, you know what, my prayer's been answered. God is working uh, in my kid's life and I've seen my children come back to the Lord. And she said, it's been, it's been two years that that's been the primary focus of my prayer and fasting. And this year, I've seen the fruit of those prayers come to pass. And, and how many of you understand that's the result of the faithfulness of God? Amen? God is faithful. And your prayers never, they never fall on deaf ears. God fervently hears your prayers. He loves you. And your prayers are stored up in heaven, right? As they continually work to see God's purposes uh, in the lives of the people that we love. So be encouraged this morning. And uh, how many of you have already broken your fast? Anybody already broken fast today? I've got a couple of you. All right. How many of you are waiting until 6 o'clock this evening and you're like ready to eat? Anybody? There we go. All right. So uh, I feel sorry for all the cows and pigs in Arab. They're going to be uh, <laughs> a lot of eating going on this evening. Amen. Well, all right. So let's talk in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. Daniel 11, verse 32, the Bible says, The people who know their God shall be strong, be resolved, and they will do exploits. The people who know their God. So we said the key to doing exploits is that you have to know God because if you don't know God intimately, you won't be strong. You won't be resolved enough to stay the course and do what God has called you to do in your life. So we said that a resolution is more than a wish. It's a firm decision to act. It's the quality of being determined or resolute, unshakable, unwavering, and unmovable. So the question we ask is what if, right? We said what if we resolved to know God? What if we made a firm decision to act? What if we made an unshakable, unwavering commitment 
that says, you know what, 2016 is going to be a year of intimacy. It's going to be a year that I'm going to know God like I've never known God. I'm going to press into Him. That, that more important than losing weight and getting in shape, more important than even financial order in my life, is that I would have an intimate relationship with God and I would grow in knowing Him. And not only do I want to know Him, but I want to do His will. I want, I want what God does in me to now begin to flow through me and impact the lives of other people. And so we said, what if that would happen? What if there was a church in Arab, Alabama that defied the odds and says, you know what, we want to do something so amazing, so astounding. We want to set the world, we want to turn the world upside down for the glory of God. And we're going to do it really simply. We're just going to know God and then we're going to do His will. What if we grabbed hold of that spiritual law of intimacy which simply says intimacy with God produces life and we refuse to be moved away. We said that when we press in to know God, right, when you press in to know God, God uh, begins to deal with the issues of your heart. And the problem is, is that most of the time, if you don't know God, if you don't know, God, know that God is for you and not against you, if you don't know that God loves you unconditionally, if you don't know that God is working all things together for your good, even what the enemy meant to destroy you, God wants to work for your good. If you don't know that, then when God begins to deal with your heart, the tendency is, is that when we get uncomfortable, we move, right? We said we move away from that place of intimacy. And when we move away from that place of intimacy, we actually disconnect ourselves from His purpose because only those who know their God will be strong enough to do exploits. And so we have committed or resolved in our hearts that we want to know God. We said the secret to doing the will of God is knowing God intimately. That God's will is the fruit or the manifestation of an intimate life with God. Everybody that knows God does His will. Not everybody that's serving God knows God, right? You can do things for God and not know Him. But if you know Him, you can't help but do things for Him, right? Because you want to join Him and be a part of the great things that God is doing in our world. How many know God's up to something big? Anybody believe that? How many know that the hope of the nation is not a new president? It is a church that is made alive by the Spirit and the power of God. It is a body of believers that are committed to knowing and knowing God and doing His will on a daily basis. Next Sunday, uh, I'm going to give you, we're going to wrap up this series, and next Sunday, I'm going to give you, I'm going to talk about everyday opportunities to do the will of God and, uh, and how that every day of our life uh, we, we have, we have uh, holy moments where God interrupts and invites us to join Him. And we're going to see some real simple practical things next week uh, as we talk about and wrap up this series on knowing and doing the will of God. But today uh, we're going to dive a little deeper into some, some great things. So let's talk real quick. We said the three keys of intimacy. Uh, number one is we must invest time at the feet of Jesus. Number two, we must invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of every area of our lives. Number three, we must respond to the invitation of the Lord. We said that God's invitation usually comes in the form of an interruption, right? That God will interrupt your life. God will interrupt your schedule. God will interrupt your plan. God will even interrupt your dreams to connect you to His purpose and His plan for your life, to connect you to His will and those things that glorify Him, those things for which you and I were created. How many know we were created for His glory? We were created for His glory. We were not created, quote, for our happiness. We were created for His glory. And I found out when God gets glory, I can find joy and happiness in the midst of it. Amen? There is great joy and there is great happiness in living a life that glorifies God. And so we said the only way to experience the will of God is to be willing to be interrupted by God. And we talked about Moses last week and how that he had to turn aside to see what God was saying. And that we have to be willing to turn aside. We have to be willing to embrace those holy interruptions and let God show up and speak and move and work through us in an amazing way. Because when we begin to work with God, all of a sudden we begin to see God's results in the lives of people. And it is exciting to see God's results in the lives of people as people's hearts and lives are changed for His glory. Amen? Nothing greater than a changed life. Amen? Amen? That was kind of weak. Amen? Nothing greater than when your life got changed. Amen, right? Praise God. All right, so let's talk. Let's look at our next point. Right, we're going to get where we're going right here today. So I want you to see this. Once you accept the invitation or what we recognize many times as an interruption, 
Once you accept the invitation from God, you will be confronted with what I simply want to call a crisis of belief. Once you accept, when you say yes to God, when you say yes to His will, yes to His plan, yes to His purpose, yes to the direction that God wants you to go in, when you say yes, when you accept the invitation of the Lord, you will be confronted with a crisis of belief. And that crisis of belief is going to be manifested two ways. The first way is that your faith will be tested. And the second way is that you will be tempted to settle. Your faith will be tested and then you will be tempted to settle. Now, now let me just say this. I wish that every time we said yes to God, the Red Sea parted and the flowers filled the pathway that we were supposed to walk on and we could just dance in to the wonderful things of God. And you know what? Occasionally that happens. Occasionally. But most of the time, when you say yes to God and you begin to step into what God has purposed for your life, There is going to be a crisis of belief. There's going to be the testing of your faith, and there's going to be the temptation from the enemy for you to settle. Now let me say, God never tempts you to sin, amen? But God will test you to take you to the next level. So let me talk to you a little bit about the test. Because you need to understand, number one, that the purpose of a test is never to fail you. The purpose of a test is to promote you to the next level. Right? When you were in high school and you were taking your 10th grade math class and your math teacher gave you a test, you know what she was doing? She was not scheming in the back of her mind thinking, I'm going to fail all these kids. No, you know what she was doing? She was given that test because in her heart she was excited about the opportunity of seeing what each student had learned and hoping and praying that they would pass the test. Why? Because she knew if they passed the test, they could be promoted to the next level. See, because if you don't pass the test, you can't be promoted to the next level. Why? Because if you don't know what 2 plus 2 is, you're going to have a hard time with X plus Y equals Z. Right? See, there are some basic things you have to know today in order to be elevated to where God wants you to go tomorrow. And so you and I need to understand that when God tests us, when we go through the testing of our faith, we are being tested so that God can promote us and elevate us to the next level where we can begin to walk in the things that He's called us to walk in. Because until you learn the lesson of today, you won't be ready for the assignment of tomorrow. Now let me give you another thought about tests. A good friend of mine several years ago was going through the testing of his faith and he had heard from God and he was following after what the Lord had told him to do and, uh, and he got into this journey of faith and all of a sudden it seemed like all hell broke loose and there were challenges everywhere he turned and he was crying out to God and he said it seemed like God was totally silent. He said, I was crying out and I was crying out and I was crying out. I was doing what God had called me to do. I was going where God had called me to go and I was crying out and God was silent. And he said, in my frustration, I was praying and I said, God, I need you more now than I ever needed you. Why are you silent? And he said, I heard the Lord say this. He said, when the teacher gives the test, she doesn't speak. When the teacher gives the test, she doesn't speak. See, once the teacher hands out the test, you know what she doesn't do? She doesn't go up to the board and explain all the problems. Once the teacher passes out the test, she doesn't go to the front of the classroom and say, hey, let me give you a lecture and explain all the answers to all those questions you're about to be confronted with. No. She's already wrote out the problems. She's already given the lessons. She's already given the pretest. And now when she gives you the test, you know what she does? She shuts her mouth. She is silent. Not because she doesn't love you. Not because she doesn't care about you. But because she knows that when you take a test, the teacher doesn't talk. And that ought to encourage us today. Because many times when you set out following after God and you start pursuing what you believe the Lord has called you to do and and challenges and and, and confrontation and problems and difficulties begin to arise, many times we cry out to God. And I don't know if you've ever had them, but I've had those moments where God has been totally silent. I'm like, come on, God. (laughs) 
Say something. <laughs> Anything. And I've been in those seasons where God seems silent. And it's those times when we understand it's not that God doesn't care. It's not that God's not concerned. It's not that God has abandoned you. And it's not that God has forsaked you. When you take a test, the teacher doesn't talk. Why? Because it's only in the fire of adversity that you actually truly understand what you really know and believe. See, it's really easy to say, well, I believe this and I believe that and I believe this and I believe that. But you really don't know what you believe until what you believe has been tested by the fire. It's when you go, because all of us have seen people that said, hey, I believe this and I believe that and I believe this until it got hard. And then the moment it got hard, they didn't believe that anymore. The moment it got hard, they stopped serving God. The moment it got hard, they stopped pursuing God. The moment it got hard, they walked away from everything that even looked like, smelled like, or tastes like God. See, because you don't know who you are and you don't know what you know until you take a test. And then the great thing about a test, remember, the purpose of a test is not to fail you. The purpose of a test is to promote you. But if you fail the test, guess what? At least now you know where you need to work on it. At least now you know where you really are. See, the test really does reveal the genuineness of your faith. It shows you where you really are, not where you think you are. Because how many of you know that we most of the time we think we're further than we really are? I know I do. I'll be, I'll be talking to God sometimes. I'll be thinking, man, Lord, we're doing good and this is happening. And, man, we're about to cross this. And God will say, well, why don't you just back up a little bit? <laughs> you're not quite there yet. I know you think you're better than what you are, but you're probably not really better than what you are. So let's just back up to where you really are. And how do you know where you really are? You know where you really are when you taste, take a test. Because the test reveals the genuineness of your faith. So God will test our faith because God wants to promote us to the next level. How many of you believe God's got better things in store for you? I hope you believe that. I hope you believe you have not yet fully obtained what God has for your life. As long as there's breath in your lungs, I believe there's another level that God intends us to walk in. Amen? Now, so God will test us, but the second thing is, is the enemy will tempt us. And this is what he's going to tempt us to do. He's going to tempt us to settle. When God gives you a test, the devil is going to come in and try to take advantage of the testing of your faith, and he's going to tempt you to settle. To settle for what? To settle for anything that is less than God's best for your life. Now let me be real honest with you. I don't struggle greatly with the temptation of sin. When, when the devil tempts me to do something that we just all really know is sin, I really don't struggle with those things very, very hard. Those are not the major struggles of my life. You know what the major struggle is? It's not when I'm tempted to sin. My major struggle is when I'm tempted to settle. When I'm tempted to settle. See, because the devil will tempt you to go from a God thing to a good thing. It's not a sinful thing. It's not a wicked thing. It's not an immoral thing. It's not an ungodly thing. As a matter of fact, most people would still applaud you for doing it. Most people would still pat you on the back and say, man, that's a great thing you're doing there. That's really good. I'm so proud of you for doing that. But the reality is, when you settle from a God thing for a good thing, you miss the potential that God intended for your life. And so the greatest temptation I face is not the temptation to go out and commit some kind of horrible sin. It's the temptation to settle from a God thing for a good thing. And that's the temptation that really happens. That's the crisis of belief. So every time you accept the invitation of the Lord, there's going to be a testing of your faith and there's going to be a temptation to settle for less. Let's just settle for something that's easier. Let's just settle for something that's a little more convenient. Let's just settle for something that's a little more conducive to our family unit and the situation of our life right now because that would just be really, really difficult. And I don't think I want to do difficult. I want to tell you something. Difficult is good. Because it is the trying of your faith that produces great things in your life. Let me give you two scriptures. We're going to talk about some great stuff today. 1 Peter 1.6 says, So be truly glad. Why? Because there is wonderful joy ahead. Y'all say that with me. Wonderful joy ahead. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you may have to endure many trials for a little while. Look at verse 7. And these trials will show that your faith is genuine. 
It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong, when your faith remains resolute, when your faith remains unshakable, unmovable, through the many trials, it will bring you much praise, glory, and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. How many know one day Jesus is coming back? And it's, the Bible says it's closer now than it was then. Amen. It's closer today than it was yesterday. And one day we're going to give an account for our lives. Now the great good news of the gospel is that our salvation has been sealed through the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ. But we also, even as Christians, even though we are secure in the salvation that we have in Christ, we're still going to give an account to God on the day of judgment. This verse tells us, that when my faith remains strong through the trials and tribulations, that through the testing of my faith, it is the testing of my faith that will give me praise, glory, and honor on that day when I answer to God. So you want to have a great day when you stand before God? Then let the testing of your faith persevere and perfect in you what God wants to do. And when you stand before God on the day of judgment, there's going to be praise, glory, and honor poured out on you. Why? Because you endured the testing and the trial of your faith. Amen? Let me give you another scripture. James chapter 1 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Isn't it interesting? Peter and James both talking about trials and tribulations say that going into them, we ought to have joy. That's kind of counterproductive to how we think, right? We think trials and tribulations, that's the last thing I'm going to have is joy. But Paul, excuse me, James said and Peter said that we ought to understand that there is great joy in our trials. There is great joy in the testing of our faith. Why? Because it is the testing of our faith that promotes us to the next level. Amen? It is the testing of our faith that promotes us to the next level. So let's look at this scripture. This is a great word from the Lord. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Y'all say it with me. Produces what? The testing of your faith produces patience. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard somebody say this. Whatever you do, don't pray for well, let me give you some great news today. You don't have to pray for it. It just comes. Let me tell you why it comes. It comes because God knows that you need patience. We're going to see that patience is the key to promotion. Patience is the key to promotion. And it is the trying, the testing of our faith that produces patience. How do I get patience? I've got to have my faith tested. That's it. How do I get patience? I have to have my faith tested. Now, why do I need patience? Well, let's read the rest of the verse. He says, but let patience have its perfect. That word perfect is used twice here. It means to grow to maturity, to be mature or complete. So let patience have its complete work in you that you may be perfect, so that you may be complete or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So this is what patience does. Patience does two things. Patience produces maturity. See, Kelly and I work with our youth, and let me tell you what's exciting about working with youth. When you work with youth, you see that they have zeal, they have passion, they have talents, they have gifts, they have an anointing, and they really only lack one thing, maturity. The only thing keeping... Most young people from stepping in right now to what God has called them to do for the rest of their life is they lack maturity. Well, how do I get maturity? I have to get maturity through patience. Where does patience come from? Patience comes from the testing of my faith. So if I want to be mature, I have to be tested. If I want to be tested, if I want to be tested, I have to go through the trial of my faith so that it can produce patience, which patience produces maturity. How many know maturity is necessary for new levels of responsibility? I'm going to say it again. Maturity is necessary for new levels of responsibility. The state of Alabama believes that when a person is 16 years old, they are mature enough to have a driver's license and get in a car all by themselves and go 70 miles an hour down the highway, right? 
Just a little word of warning. March 25th, my awesome son, Levi, will turn 16 years old. I love y'all. Just wanted to let you know. He's a great driver, by the way. But how many of you realize that the reason we don't give a driver's license to a 10-year-old or even a 12-year-old, especially an 8-year-old, sure enough a 5-year-old, is because they don't have the maturity to handle the responsibility. And when you give somebody responsibility without maturity, what was intended to bless them will curse them. What was intended to promote them will actually crush them. We've all seen people given responsibility that they didn't have the maturity to handle. And what happens? Many times, instead of them being elevated and promoted, they get demoted. Why? They actually get crushed under the weight of responsibility because they lack the maturity that they need to effectively operate in what was given to them. And if the state of Alabama is smart enough to understand that maturity equals responsibility, then sure enough, God knows that if you're going to go to the next level in your relationship with Him, if you're going to walk in the things God's anointed you to walk in, you are going to have to grow up. And the only way you can grow up is that you're going to have to have patience, which will perfect you and mature you. And patience is produced by the testing of your faith. So that's why James and Peter said, count it all joy when you go through the testing of your faith. Why? Because God is preparing you for promotion. God is preparing you for promotion. And the challenge is, is that we have to be willing to embrace what God wants to do or else we'll never experience where God wants us to go. The last part of that verse says that when patience, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking nothing. Complete, lacking nothing, that literally means complete, lacking nothing. It means to be effectively and efficiently equipped with everything you need to accomplish the task that is before you. So what God does to the testing of our faith is God uses the testing of our faith to mature us, and He uses the testing of our faith to equip us with the things we need to operate on that new level. And that's astounding. And all of that is the result of patience. Because the testing of your faith produces patience. So let me give you a definition of patience. Let me tell you what patience is not. Patience is not waiting on God. Patience is not waiting on God. I, I get... I get uh, I get frustrated sometimes because I hear people say all the time, well, I'm just waiting on God, and I'm just waiting on God, and I'm just waiting on God. Let me just give you a revelation. God's waiting on you. God is waiting on you. God is waiting on you to grow up, and God is waiting on you to go through the processes necessary to equip you and empower you to go to that next level. Now think about it for just a minute. It only took God six days to create, every, create everything we've ever known or seen, right? God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it in six days. It took us thousands of years to continually, we are still discovering things that God created in six days. Think about that. We are still discovering things that God created in six days. And so you can't tell me that God made everything we've ever seen, touched, tasted, or felt in six days, but yet it's took God 20 years to change one circumstance in your life so you can move on to where God's called you to go. You're not waiting on God, God's waiting on you. God's waiting on you to be perfected in your faith through the testing of your faith so that you will be mature enough to handle the responsibility He's about to give you and equipped enough to operate on the level He's about to take you to. And so we understand patience is not waiting on God. Patience is not sitting here twiddling my thumb saying, well, I'm just waiting on God to do something. I want to tell you something. Patience, let me give you a definition. Patience is staying the course... Staying the course even when you don't see God at work. Patience is staying the course. The word patience literally means to endure, to have endurance. It means to continue the path that you set out upon. So patience is not waiting on God. Lord, I wish you'd hurry up. No, patience is staying the course, staying the path, staying the direction that God told you to go in even when you don't see God at work. And how many of you know sometimes 
you start it with great enthusiasm and signs and wonders and you get into it and you're like, God, where are you? <laughs> we have to understand. Let me give you John 5. This is a great verse. John 5. Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. Let me tell you something great about God. God's at work. The truth is God was working on you before you ever wanted God to work on you, right? God was working on your behalf. God was working for your deliverance. God was working for your salvation before you acknowledged God, before you knew God, before you trusted God, before you cried out to God. God was working on your behalf. Trying to save you, trying to help you, trying to deliver you, trying to redeem your life from the destruction, the chaos of your own sin and your own choices. And I want to tell you something. God has not stopped working. God is always at work. God is working. When I can't see God working, guess what? He's working. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. What happens many times is we start the path. We begin the journey. We accept the invitation. We say yes to God. And we start running down this path toward what God has called us to do. And all of a sudden, in the midst of our journey... All of a sudden, we're like, where in the world did God go? And many times, we change course out of frustration instead of revelation. We change course because, well, Lord, I'm not seeing what I used to see, and I don't feel what I used to feel, and I'm not experiencing what I used to experience. And, Lord, this is what you told me to do, and this is where you told me to go, and I've been running hard after it, but, God, I'm into it now, and it doesn't seem like you're here, and I don't even know where you're at. And so, God, out of my frustration, I'm not seeing results. I'm not seeing things progress the way I thought they ought to progress. And so many times out of frustration, we change course instead of out of revelation. Let me just say this to you. If God puts you on a path, God should be the only one to change you from it. If God said do it, keep doing it until God says don't do it anymore. God knows how to do that, by the way. God knows how to set you on a path, and then God knows how to say stop. You went as far as I want you to go here. If you don't believe me, ask Abraham. God told Abraham to sacrifice his son. When he raised the knife and began to sacrifice him, God said stop. That's as far as I want you to go. Let's change direction. But until you hear God say stop or change direction, you cannot change the course of your life out of frustration. And you can't measure the move of God by what you see with your eye. I'll be honest with you, I'll go home sometimes and I'll think, man, that was the worst message I've ever preached in my life. And I'll get 10 texts that week from people saying, man, that was the greatest word I've heard, Pastor Keith, that spoke to me. That was so awesome, that was so amazing. But when I was preaching it, man, it was like I'm looking at people and they're like looking like a cow at a new gate. You know, they're just like... Are you done yet? You know, I was about running out of time. We've got to go, and I'm really hungry, and we've been fasting for 21 days. Come on, let's get out of here. But you can't measure the work of God by the response of people. God is always at work. God is always at work, and God will produce fruit. And sometimes what God does in a moment in somebody's life takes five years to fully be manifested. But we have to know that God is at work. And if God has set your face and set you on a path, stay the course until God changes you. Don't change course out of frustration. Only out of the revelation of what God has wanted to do in your life. Amen? All right, let me give you four areas. Four areas that your faith will be tested. Number one, your family. Your faith will be tested in the area of your family. Your family will face challenges. Let me just tell you this. If you live a perfect life, your family will face challenges. Jesus lived a perfect life. People tried to kill him. They ultimately did. They mocked him. They ridiculed him. They ran him out of town. They called him a liar. They called him a drunk. They called him... Uh, all kind of horrible names. And Jesus lived a perfect life and his perfection led him to a cross. If you, if you, if you make every right decision, your family is still going to have challenges. And it is, it is through the challenges that you face in your family that there is going to be the testing of your faith. See, God wants to know, do you trust him with your family? We've had to commit our family to the Lord over and over again. We've had to commit our family. God, we, we trust you with our family. And when things were difficult and things were hard, God, we're going to keep doing what you called us to do because we trust you with our family. 
We committed our kids before they were ever born. When they were, when they were in the womb, we committed our kids to the Lord. And we said, God, we trust you. They're yours. They're yours. And you've got to trust your family. Whenever, whenever I accepted the call to preach, I started pastoring. And three months after I started pastoring, my beautiful wife attempted suicide and went into a 10-year battle of depression. Family challenge. But we had to decide. I had to decide, what am I going to do? We're going to stay the course? Or out of frustration, out of discouragement, out of discontentment, out of, out of a lack of understanding? Are we going to say, oh, we just miss God, no, that don't matter now, it's too hard? Or are we going to stay the course? Are you going to stay? See, there, there, is going to be a, there is going to be challenges in your family. Why? Because God wants to test your faith. Who do you trust with your family? Do you trust God to take care of them when you can't? Do you trust God to move in their lives when you can't? Do you trust God to right the wrongs when you can't? See, there, there, is a, there is a testing of your faith that is going to be manifested through your family. And you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to stay the course? In spite of the challenges, in spite of all the difficulties, in spite of the hardship, maybe it's physical sickness. Maybe it's financial strain in the family. I don't know what it was, but I want to just say to you today, there will be a testing of your faith in the area of your family because God wants to know that you trust Him with your family. God, I can't fix them, but you can. God, I can't change them, but you can. God, I can't do all this, but you can. And I'm going to trust you to do what I can't do, God. How many singles we got in the house? Any singles in the house today? For all you singles, let me just tell you today, one of the greatest family challenges you're going to face as a single is that you don't have a family. And God, I just want a family. I wish I had a messed up family that I could just argue with, God. Right? Because I'm lonely and I'm all alone and I don't like going home alone. I don't like being alone and I don't like this lonely stuff, God. And Just give me a messed up family. Let me just say this to you. You don't want a messed up family. The only thing worse than not having a family is having a messed up family. So here's the challenge. I want you to see this. Here's the family challenge for all you singles. The family challenge for all you singles is don't settle. Don't settle. You're going to be tempted to settle. You're going you're gonna to be, be tempted to settle. And God wants to know, am I enough? Am I enough? And God wants to know that whether you're single or whether you're married. God wants to know, am I enough? Am I enough? Because if I'm enough, that's good. We can do great things. And I can send you a spouse. And I can send you somebody to share your life with. And I can send you somebody to have babies with. And I can send you somebody to just, I mean, just, just go on with, right? I mean, just, just be, have a great life together. But i got to know that I'm enough. Because if he's not enough, you'll never go the next level. You'll never go the next level. Because there will always be a family crisis that will derail you from God's purpose. Now, there are times we have to change the way we do life, and there are times we have to change the way we do, we do family, and we do change the way we do ministry, and all these crazy things. But I want to tell you something. In spite of all the challenges and all the changes that you have to make, stay the course. Stay the course. Let me give you the second one, finances. Your faith is going to be tested in the area of finances. You're going to walk through seasons of financial challenge. And here's the question. Are you willing to stay the course? Patience is staying the course. Patience matures you and patience equips you to go the next level. Are you willing to stay the course and continue to tithe, continue to give, continue to sow into God's kingdom? See, here's the question here. The testing of your faith in the area of finance is simply this. Who is your provider? Who's your provider? Who are you trusting to pay your bills? Who are you trusting to take care of your family? Who is the provider of your home, of your life? I'll give you a little testimony. Kelly and I have been married 25 years, and in the midst of that 25 years, there was a six-month window where we didn't tithe faithfully to God. And we were going through hard, hard times. We, we were financially challenged from day one when we got married because we were young and, young and dumb and all the good stuff that go along with it, right? But as we walked through 10 years of depression, we walked through not only some physical family challenges, but we also walked through some 
some, some overwhelming financial challenges. And there was a six-month window in that process where we were just trying to eat and we were just trying to keep the lights on and keep the water running. And it was during that six months that God checked my heart and He said, Keith, who is your provider? Is your job your provider? Are you the provider? And I'll be real honest with you. God got very clear with me and He said, Keith, I'm just going to tell you right now, you can't do it. You are incapable of meeting every need. And then he said, but I am fully capable of meeting every need and not only meeting the need, but doing above and beyond what you could ever ask or imagine if you'll just trust me as your provider. And we, after that six-month window of being unfaithful in our tithing, giving a little here, giving a little there, we reconnected our hearts and we said, God, you're our provider. And we honored God with our tithing, honored God with our giving, and honored God with sowing into his kingdom. Well, let me just tell you how that works, how God uses that to promote you. Nine years ago in our church, we had five key families leave our church, five of the, the biggest givers, actually the top five givers of our church, left our church. And we're all in relationship with them. We all love them. We still got a good relationship with every, each one of those families that left. But God moved them out of this congregation. And when they walked out of the doors, that happened in a three-month period. Five families left in three months. And $150,000 walked out the door. And we had a $300,000 budget. So half of our budget walked out the door with five families. I immediately went to God and said, God, the devil's attacking our finances. And the Lord said, no, this is not an attack against your finances. This is an attack against your vision. And then he asked me the question, who's your provider? Who's the provider of Liberty Church? Is it those people? Are they the provider or am I the provider? Are you looking to man or are you looking to me? And I met with our elders and we met with the elder team and we sat down and we cut $35,000 off the budget. We cut everybody. We cut every ministry except one ministry. Every ministry got financially cut. We cut it to the bare bones of what can we do, what can we get by with, the bare, bare essentials. We cut $35,000 across the board except for one ministry did not cut and that one ministry that did not get cut was our outreach ministry. Because we made a decision, we made a commitment when we started Liberty Church. God said, I want you to take 10% of everything that comes into this church and I want you to put it back out in the community to help people. We call it tithing on the tithe. Because how many of you understand, if you don't keep putting seed in the ground, there's no harvest. See, your, your harvest is not determined by what you receive. Your harvest is determined by what you sow. And so we cut $35,000 out, out, uh, out of the budget and we, we cut everything but our outreach ministries. And we kept giving and sowing and serving and ministering and pouring out. And you know what? We never missed one bill. We never got behind. And that year ended up being a year of increase in the life of this church. Why? Because God is our provider. And once you get to that place where God's your provider, man, God can promote you to new levels. Why? Because you're no longer dependent on man. If you're always looking to people to meet your needs, then your level of increase is determined by their financial stability. But hey, God owns it all. So if God owns it all, I have no limit on how, I, how high I can go financially. If I'm looking to you, I can only go as high as you can give. But if we're looking to God, there's no limit on how high we can go. Because God's our provider. Number three, fears. There's going to be a testing of your faith in the area of your fears. We all have fears, and we all have insecurities, all of us. There are things that each one of us have to work through, fears and insecurities that are manifested out of them, that we all have to work through. And here's the reality. There's going to be a testing of your faith in the area of fears. What are you afraid of doing? What are your insecurities? Because if you're going to go where God has called you to go, this is what has to happen. Your faith in Him has to be greater than your fear of man. Your faith in God has to be greater than your fear of man. The fear of what are they going to think, the fear of what are they going to do, the fear of how am I going to look, the fear of, of all these things that we worry about, all our insecurities that rise up within us. There's going to be a testing of your faith where your fears are going to be put to the test. And you're going to have to ask yourself, am I going to stay the course and work through and overcome my fears to do what God has called me to do? Or am I going to be derailed? Am I going to settle? 
Let me tell you what I did. When God called me to preach, I was so afraid, so, in, so insecure in the area of public speaking and communication. God told me he wanted me to preach the gospel. I told God this. I said, God, I said, I will move to Africa. I will live in a hut. And every day I will go door to door and tell people about Jesus. Because I was that afraid of standing up in front of a crowd. How many know that might have been a good thing to go to Africa and be a missionary? But it wasn't a God thing for my life. And you can settle or you can stay the course and face your fears and let God work the insecurities of your heart out. But the only way that happens is you got to stay the course. Every time you disengage from the path, it's, it, it, it derails and it delays what God wants to do. I've used the illustration before, and we're going to move on in just a second. I've used the illustration before that, that living a Christian life is like walking on a treadmill. And that is the moment you stop moving forward, you automatically go in reverse. There is a negative pull on this world. And when you stop making forward progression, when you stop, you automatically degress. And every time you step out of the path that God has you in, because of fear and insecurities, you automatically degress. And then when you step back in, you're further back than you were. And now you've got to overcome some of the hurdles you already overcame just to get back where you were six months ago so you can actually go forward to where God was trying to take you a year ago. And so we've got to understand there's going to be a testing of our faith in the area of our fears. Let me give you the last one. There's going to be a testing of our faith in the area of failures. Let me give you some good news. You will fail. Ain't that great? <laughs> you will fail. Look at that last screen if we can. You will fail. You will fail. You will make mistakes. And sometimes you'll just totally miss it. So you're going to fail. The only people that don't fail are people that aren't doing anything. That's the only people that don't fail. The only people that don't fail are people that are not doing anything. If you're moving forward, if you're pursuing God, if you're pressing after Him, you're going to fail. You know what? Everything you do is not going to work out just like you thought it was going to work out. Everything you do is not going to produce everything you thought it was going to produce as quick as you thought it was going to produce it. I mean, when we started Liberty Church, God said, I want you to build North Alabama's greatest church. I thought, man, three weeks into this thing, we ought to be about 500. Three months later, we ought to be about 1,000. And I thought, surely 17 years later, which is where we are now, I mean, that we'd probably be meeting in stadiums all over the world. But you know what? Everything we tried didn't work. Every path we tried to go down didn't necessarily produce the results we thought they would produce. But you know what we've done? We just said we're going to stay the course. We're going to stay the course. You know what? We're going to make some mistakes. Sometimes we just miss it. Sometimes we just miss it. One of my favorite stories, I'm going to tell you all this. Y'all are the only ones that get this story. I didn't tell you at any other services, so it's special for y'all. Brother Rod, one of the first few times Brother Rod came, and Brother Rod usually at the end of every service, he loves to lay hands and prophesy over people. And so after every service, after he does that, uh, typically we'll, we'll go out to eat for lunch that day, and he'll ask me and Kelly, he'll say, well, well Pastor, how'd I do today? And, and usually I'll say, Brother Rod, it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I mean, you just, you just nailed it. I mean, you know, that person, you said that, and that person, you said that, and that person, you said that. And so that one particular day, he had prophesied over some folks, and, and uh, he said, well, how would I do today? I said, well, I said, Brother Rod, it was amazing, except for that one couple. He said, what do you mean that one couple? And I described the little couple, and they actually weren't even a part of our church. They had visited a time or two, and they were there that Sunday, and they came up, and Brother Rod prophesied over them that they were a model couple, they were an example couple, that they, were, they, had, they had a marriage ministry and God was going to use them to strengthen other marriages and help other couples grow in their relationship with the Lord. I said, Brother Rod, they're not even married, they're living in sin. And I'll never forget what Brother Rod said. He said, well, I missed it. What's for lunch? Now, he didn't mean that disrespectful. He just realized he missed it. He missed it. Now, maybe, you know, my thought is, well, maybe one day they will get married. And they'll have a wonderful marriage ministry, and it'll be great. Maybe so. But that day, it was not right. And Brother Rod realized, you know what? 
If you're going to pursue God, if you're going to walk in the supernatural, if you're going to live by faith, sometimes you're going to step out there and you're just going to miss it. And we don't miss it on purpose and we don't try to do anything that's wrong or inaccurate. But you know what? When you miss it, all you can do is say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. What's for lunch? Let's go on. Let's move forward. Let's make some progress. So here's what's going to have to happen. Are you going to stay the course? Even when you fail, when you make mistakes, when you totally miss, are you going to stay the course? Are you going to learn from your mistakes? That's key. How many know if you keep doing the same thing you were doing last week, this week, you're not learning from your mistakes? Are you going to forgive yourself? That's huge because most of the time, God, I mean, every time, let me say this, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all rights. If you ask God to forgive you, guess what He does? He forgives you. But we also got to forgive ourselves. Let me give you another one that's not on the screen, then we'll talk about the last part there. Are you going to refuse to be offended at God? See, because a lot of times when we fail, when we make mistakes, when we miss it, sometimes we get mad at God because, Lord, why didn't you show up? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you keep us from falling? Why didn't you keep us from stumbling? Why didn't you do this, God? And if we're not careful, we'll allow our failures to create an offense in our heart toward God. But we've got to refuse to be offended with God. And then last but not least, are you willing to stay the course? Are you willing to learn from your mistakes? Are you willing to forgive yourself? Are you willing to refuse to be offended? And are you willing to finish the race? God is looking for finishers. Well, Pastor Keith, I'm trying to stay the course, but I'm not able to do all the things I used to do. Well, that's wonderful. Do what you can do. Do what you can do. Just do what you can do. Stay the course. Do what you can do. Get better at what you're doing. Perfect your gift. Perfect your talent. Mature, grow, serve, live. Well, I want to do all these things, but I can't do all of them right now because my mistake uh, took me out of the loop. Okay, do what you can. Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay the course. Just do what you can where you are. And let patience have its perfect work in you that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. I want our prayer teams to come.